Hi, this is Chris McGregor. The work of Discerning Hearts really could not continue without your prayers and support. Between now and December 31st, please consider making a year-end tax-deductible gift to Discerning Hearts. We are a 501c3 not-for-profit organization. Your donation is fully tax-deductible to the extent permitted by law. Click the Donate button on DiscerningHearts.com or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Your generous support will allow us to continue producing the type of spiritual formation programming you have come to expect from us, like those from Archbishop George Lucas, Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essef, and so many more. Please prayerfully consider supporting our mission, which is dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. Thank you, and God bless from all of us at Discerning Hearts. The following is offered by Discerning Hearts, a 501 nonprofit Catholic apostolate dedicated to spiritual formation through the use of digital media. To download this selection or to browse hundreds of other programs or to contribute to our mission with a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible, visit our website at discerninghearts.com. The Formed Book Club. Catholic Book Lovers, Unpacking Good Books, Chapter by Chapter. Welcome to the Foreign Book Club. We discuss Henri Rubach's The Drama of Atheist Humanism. Last session, we covered uh, five pages. (laughs) At this rate, it only takes us uh, 370 from... Four seventy, uh, only twenty more weeks to do this. <laughs> I think we'll move a little further on, though. Well, we are talking about a Russian novelist. Well, so. That's true. <laughs> uh, first of all, there's an erratum. Yes. That, uh, Vivian wants to correct. Yes. Last time I said that Christianity came to Kiev in eight ninety nine. It was actually nine eighty eight. So, uh, yes. Right. It, it's basically at the turn of the millennium. You know. Almost. Yes. So, Joseph, we're, we left on page 369, I think it was, quoting various things. That sounds about right, yes. Go ahead. Tell us where to go next. Well, if you if you want to fast forward, I had loads of things highlighted up until page 369, but I have, I have nothing else until 377, so please leap in. Vivian? Uh, well, I love this next section, even though I don't have a lot underlined. The fact is, is that... Yeah, I finally do. Um, where Delubach is dealing with this mystery of the person, you know, he says, in every man there's a mystery in, on page 371. He echoes St. Paul, you know, I, do the, I don't do the good I want to do. I do the bad I don't want to do. You know, in every man there is this struggle. Uh, and, and we sort of touched on that last time. And... So it can look like a split personality that Dostoevsky has, but in fact, he's simply revealing all of the different traits within himself and within other people and being actually painfully honest about the mess we really are, which is why he did not have any hope in progress and science and all these things to fix man. Yeah, he was very much a realist in terms of his understanding of human anthropology, um, and, and that's that's that I think is why his novels are so great. Ultimately, and I absolutely love this metaphor on three seventy four about the vanishing point. Um, you know, that's trying to get a grip on the picture of the way things are, and in the 
down toward the uh, bottom of last of the first major paragraph on 374, the vanishing point is outside the picture and yet strictly inherent in it, outside the field of psychology and in the spirit. This idea of the vanishing point, if you've studied drawing, you know, you learned that everything in your picture to have the proper perspective, all the lines are going toward a point, but that point is off the piece of paper. In fact, if you put it on the paper, let's say you like put an X, your lines will be, will be so tight, it'll look obscene, what you've just drawn. The vanishing point actually has to be outside and all the lines. So this m image, I just, I thought, what a beautiful image. You know, we try to see ourselves but the vantage point for looking at ourselves is off the paper. Yeah. What gives you perspective is not in the picture. Yes, yes. <laughs> there, thank you for putting it succinctly. What gives you perspective is not in the picture. I Very thought that good. was just a beautiful way of being humble about knowing ourselves. So then who does have the perspective? God has it. Joseph, you have something on 377? Yeah, if nobody has anything before that. Um, I wanted to just question the paragraph the only full paragraph on that page. Um, on 377? Yeah. 377, yeah. So, hence the ambiguous nature of such states, according to whether we just take them literally or see in them signs, that is to say, real symbols. This notion of ambiguity is one of the most important to bear in mind when interpreting Dostoevsky. It is not far removed from that of dualism. With this difference, however, that in dualism, as the name indicates, there are two clearly marked contrasting poles, whereas in ambiguity, the duality that already exists remains latent and not, not yet differentiated. I just want to quibble with that. I've got three question marks in the, in the margin. If you look at, for instance, uh, St. Augustine's book uh, on Christian doctrine, when he talks about signs, the purpose of signs is to point us towards the real uh, and to allow us to talk about the real. Um, it's a way of communicating the real to each other and to ourselves, first of all, and then to each other. So the, the reduction of uh, the, 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 the literal from the allegorical, shall we say, to either um, dualism, which is sort of schizophrenic, or ambiguity, which is sort of postmodern, both or either and make up your own mind, um, I think is, 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 is dangerous. I think that the purpose of words and the purpose of signs is to define and not to uh and, and not to confuse ultimately and i think that's what um what augustine says in de doctrina christiana but isn't this related to what you would call applicability where something can be real and also a sign pointing beyond itself to something else so that there's ambiguity or dualism there in the thing itself I would say that a multiplicity of meanings is not dualism, uh, and nor is it relativism. In other words, that you know, if you if you look at a sunset and see both the physicality of it and also the beauty of God's presence and also the beauty in itself, uh, you, you're not sort of dissolving meaning into disintegrating particles, as the postmoderns would say. What you're doing is giving a multifaceted dimension to the reality you're looking at which comes from god yes but if you look at the limbus in the lord of the rings it's real food but it also points to the eucharist even but though it's it, not even the eucharist. Within the, 
if you, as you're using that example, even within the literal meaning, the most powerful thing about lembas is not the nourishing of the body, but the feeding of the will. So even then, there's a power to lembas, which is not purely nutritional in the physical sense, it's spiritual. Um, and obviously, when it points beyond itself to the other life bread, it's not, there's not an ambiguity there, there's a deepening, right? That it's both. Right, it's not. It's, well, it's, it's, not, it's not either one or the other, or we don't really know. It's both. It's both lembas and well, that, the blessed sacrament. That's one of the meanings of ambiguous. So maybe the word ambiguous is ambiguous too. <laughs> well, I think it helps if we remember uh, that this this chapter is called the experience of eternity, and um, what Delubach I think is talking about is these experiences that people have. Uh, where they're getting glimpses of eternity, perhaps. I mean, like, for example, when he uses uh, epilepsy as an example of, uh, for Dostoevsky's characters who are epileptic and Dostoevsky himself, who was epileptic, these experiences seemed to open to something beyond, seemed to. I, and I use the word seemed to because there is a discernment that is needed to, to, to parse out. And sometimes we can't completely parse out what what is a physical i've got chemicals firing in my brain literally during an epileptic fit these nervous synapses whatever they're doing there, there's something physical happening to the brain uh and yet it's affecting the mind which is not all physical it's affecting the spirit which is not physical so th there's room for ambiguity in that i think we need to be a bit humble about how we interpret these kinds of experiences and I think that's kind of what Dostoevsky, I mean, uh, De Lubac is talking about, not um, is, the, is the Eucharist a sign and a symbol and also what it affects and all that. He's not talking about these kinds of things. I think he's more talking about, for lack of a better expression, mystical experience that human well, beings I, have. I, I, agree, I agree, Vivian, that, that we have to distinguish between uh, our subjective experience of something and the objective reality of a thing. Um, uh, but I do think we, 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 the, the distinction is important and we mustn't lose the importance of that distinction. Give me one example, by the way, of what we're talking about here. Going back to Tolkien, Tolkien says in his essay on fairy stories, nature is no doubt a life study and also a study for eternity for those so gifted. In other words, you can look at nature uh, purely scientifically, purely materially, uh, and that's good. But you can also look at it and see in it the presence of good, the presence of God, uh, which is also good and, and, and perhaps better. And I don't think those things are, well, again, I think Father made a good point. Uh, I, there's more than one meaning to the word ambiguous, and that's probably the problem. But, you know, that to yeah. me, the word ambiguity is used so much in postmodernism, which we have to deal with all the time, yes. that, that I'm always on, on the alert uh, and on the defense yes. against the use of the word. And then, you know, when Delubac on 375, before your quote, you know, when he talks about, um, you know, the gate, where, where is this is in the bottom of the middle there, middle of the bottom, I don't know. Um, <laughs> That's you know, he, I'm assuming Dostoevsky, <laughs> does not picture the spiritual world as a hidden substratum that while, of course, impenetrable by the normal, ordinary man, yields to the explorations of a being with better or different gifts. For him, this spiritual world, this domain of eternity is in a concrete sense, 
the gospel, and the only way to enter it is by means referred to in the gospel, metanoia or new birth. The gate, of, the gate of the kingdom is opened as well as guarded by the mystery of the cross. That's beautiful. Yeah. It is. Is that it for that section? section uh, yes. Which was titled uh, Dualisms and Symbols. Uh, the next section is three, the new birth. Joseph? Well, I don't have any. Well, I have something on 381. So does anybody beat that? Well, on 380 in the middle there, uh, the two scenes, because this is critical in the, for the rest of this chapter, the two scenes we now have to examine are purely Christian inspiration. And it's only in the light of these scenes that the passages already analyzed to find their true exegesis and take on their open signature. So he's saying that the two scenes by which you must improve everything else in Nazi are what? The first is Raskolnikov, and he wants a, at the bottom of the page there to read him a passage of the account of the raising of Lazarus. And uh, then on page 381, that quote at the bottom there, but this then the miracle happened. But this is the beginning of another story, the story of progressive renewal of a man of his regeneration, of how he gradually passed from one world to another and came to know a new reality that had hitherto been beyond his ken. So ends crime and punishment. Okay. So it, it's really a novel of redemption uh, for Askolnikov here. Yeah, I actually highlight that's the passage of 381 I highlighted, and what I wrote at the bottom, again, coming back to Tolkien, as I invariably do, you catastrophe, because, of course, that, that right at the end there, crime and punishment, is this sudden joyous turn, as you say, Father, redemption. And, 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 and it's just the beginning for Raskolnikov, right? This new birth. Right. Now he's going to have to walk the way. Right? You, you get reborn in order to do what? In order to live as the new man. Well, that doesn't just happen overnight. It, it takes now discipleship and purification. And so, uh, some it's people. Like, who, it's the novel, yeah, you have the crime, right? You have Moscone's crime, the murder. You have the punishment, which is the rest of the novel, <laughs> which, bearing in mind the uh, eucatastrophic end is purgatorial, not infernal. And then you have what happens following the novel, at the end of the novel. And I'm reminded here to Lewis now, the end of the last battle, right? This is the end of all the stories. But for them, it's the beginning of the real story. That's right. I found this interesting, page 382 in the middle. He, that is, uh, Dostoevsky, would not have written an analog to Tolstoy's resurrection. A moral of that kind would have bored him. But actually, something quite different was involved here. The discovery of a new reality, in quotes, the entry into a new world, that indeed interested him enormously, but that was untellable. So it's the, it's the point of intersection, in other words, the, the, the point of perspective again. What he's trying to get at, he can't tell, but he wants to point to it. Right. It's the, uh, it's the, it's the, uh, the uh, climax of the Paradiso. Right, where the greatest poet who ever lived, arguably, is lost for words, right? In the presence of the beatific vision. What can I now say? We'll return to the Forum Book Club with Father Joseph Fessio, Vivian Dudreau, and Joseph Pierce in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? 
Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to the Formed Book Club with Father Joseph Fezio, Vivian Dudreau, and Joseph Pierce. 384, anybody before that? No. Nope. I've just got another, a, a, a side swipe at Jeed um, on um, 383, uh, as okay. we were discussing the topic about a couple of, couple of sessions back. Um, we've got just, just um, four lines down on page 383, we've got um, uh, Lubacks commentary upon Gide. Here, his interpretation of Dostoevsky rests upon a translation that, it seems to me, is rather taking liberties with the text for the benefit of the doctrine. And I, and I, I really, I highlighted that just because of the dangers, of course, of bad translation. Uh, and we, you know, when we're reading something in translation and we can't check the original because we are ignorant of the language, we do have to be able to trust authorities other than ourselves that this is a bona fide, good, reliable translation that doesn't tamper with the text for whatever ideological or other reasons. 384, new paragraph. The kingdom to which Raskolnikov gains access is a world of fellowship. In the name Raskolnikov, there is Raskol, which means schism, division. He's been cut off from his brother men by his crime, and more especially by his pride in his theory, which led to that crime. So this, again, the new reality is, is communion, but it's not a communion of the order we're used to. It's something untellable beyond. I read somewhere, Father, um, I can't remember where, that, that that word there, that root word, rascal, is the same thing for rascal. 
in in in, in English um, has the same etymological root. I can't gain say that. And so, but pointed to this that it takes this rebirth, conversion, and now this discipleship. So Dostoevsky, at the bottom of 384, he warns us that in themselves improvements, meaning these attempts to socially engineer society, right? These improvements can do nothing to solve the problem of man and of human fellowship. The most perfect of societies might be the most horrible of hells. You know, I'm just thinking now, for example, in China, where people are literally under 24-7 surveillance in order to keep them from doing wrong. And I mean, we're under 24 surveillance by the Holy Spirit. So <laughs> we Christians ought to be, you know, more circumspect before we open our mouths or do something. Nevertheless, can you imagine this attempt to bring about perfect behavior on the part of citizens? What a hell this would be to know. Now, we here in this country could easily go in this direction, but what a hell this would be to be under the constant scrutiny of your the members of your government bureaucracy. So would you would you rather be watched every moment of the day by our Lord Jesus Christ or by Big Brother? I mean, it's not a difficult yeah. choice, is it? Yeah. So, page three eighty six is summing up here the mystery of the new man and of the new birth, glimpsed at the end of crime and punishment, reappears in the brothers Karamazov. Skip a line, like Raskolnikov, Mitya is a man who has been brought back to life. So, again, but, but Mitya now, just like, it, was it Sonia for Raskolnikov? I think yes, yeah. Sonia yeah. was the one who got Raskolnikov a copy of the Bible. Right. And, and here in the brothers Karamazov is Alyosha, Yes. going to basically bring back Mitya. And the thing that's so interesting about Mitya, even though he's he doesn't he's not the murderer of his father. Spoiler alert for any of you who haven't read the novel yet. Uh, and yet he's about to be punished for this crime. And it's through uh, false testimony and false condemnation that he nevertheless is redeemed. How about that? <laughs> Uh, at the uh, bottom of page 386 there, um, again, I'm, 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 I'm coming back to Xi. Um, others, including Xi, understanding Eliosh in the light of Mishkin, and that, again, a few sessions back, we looked at the Holy Fall and Xi's misreading of, of the character of Prince Mishkin. But if there's an undoubted kinship of soul between these two young men, Eliosha and Mishkin, the differences between them are just as great. Alyosha is neither mentally, mentally backward nor maladjusted. He is capable of manly decision. So the whole idea that you know, the holy foolishness cannot be devoid of or divorced from reason, that basically, you know, that you, you, you can be humble to the point of seeming simple, but nonetheless, you have to be subject to the Logos. Anything before 389? Nope. Top of the page, do we not feel at this point that those beings whose ambiguous ecstasies had left us perplexed are all gathered around Alyosha? Is it not here that the great mystic current that runs through Dostoevsky's work receives its meaning? Yep. And then about two-thirds down, the changing of the water into wine 
stands for the process by which the human being becomes divine, the transition from natural life to life according to the spirit. The ecstasy that followed in the garden was actually that. We do not know in what it consisted, and neither Dostoevsky nor Alyosha himself could have been described its substance. So once again, it's the new life, the new man, the ecstasy, which we can't describe, but it's the transformation. Uh, middle page 390, the mysticism of the brothers Karamazov is the mysticism of the resurrection. It is eschatological, and that's so important. It's not situated in the temporal powers, in the here and now, even though we partake of it now, it is something that is of another world. And if we, so, if we can all jump onto each other here, because that was my next quote. <laughs> when Father read, the mysticism of the Brothers Karamazov is the mysticism of the resurrection, then you, Vivian, uh, continued, it is eschatological, and I actually highlighted also the third sentence. It's out of the fourth gospel, but also that of the apocalypse. Uh, yes. Again, this is just absolutely profound. I think the important thing here, I think what Father said about the, the quote on the previous page, is that, that that which is inexplicable is not necessarily, it's not therefore unreal. I mean, that's the point of the palace of glass, right? We can't explain something that it is therefore ipso facto and, and not a reality. No, on the contrary, <laughs> no, there are, there are things that happen, the most important things that happen, resurrection. You know, not just you know in in, in the, that mystery resurrection of the soul, right? Conversion. These are not things that can be explained in purely material terms. And to say that this therefore is not true is clearly nonsense. Yeah, it's the vanishing point off the page again, right? And yeah. this this is what Absolutely. Christian hope. This is what Christian hope is about. Yeah, and the little back has a uh, characteristic of his writing that he. He often ends these chapters with something which really sums it up in, in a poetic way. And he does it here, 391. Mm -hmm. First, he quotes from the brothers Karamazov. Karamazov, exclaimed Kolya, is it true, as religion says, that we rise from the dead, that we shall see each other again, all of us, Ilyusha too, to be sure we shall rise again. We shall see one another again. And we shall joyfully recount all that has happened to us, replied Ilyusha, half laughing, half eager. Oh, how lovely that will be, said Kolya. And then Dalubak, with this ingenuous dialogue, this childish conversation, which is appended to Alyosha's ecstasy, Fyodor Mikhailovich Dostoevsky ends the Brother Skarmasov, his last work completed in the year of his death. I mean, that really puts yeah, uh, It's poetic, because what he's really saying there is these are Dostoevsky's last words. This is Dostoevsky's final judgment upon life and his own work. Then that concludes the chapter. He has just a two-page conclusion. I want to have someone read the first paragraph and the last, the last couple of sentences. Joseph. Well, how about if I read the first paragraph and Vivian reads the last couple of sentences then? How about that? Okay, I, good. I had highlighted the first couple of sentences three sentences of the conclusion, but I'll read the whole of that paragraph, which is, yeah, beautiful. Thus, all this body of work, this dreadful work, ends in a hymn of hope. The whole of it is a hymn of hope. That is its underlying meaning. Dostoevsky is the prophet of the other life. The truth he announces is not a discarnate truth, 
to use a word so often misused today. On the contrary, his realism is of the most vigorous type, but it bears no resemblance to a positivist truth. It is a truth that shocks. Yet, if it sets itself against any attempt on the part of man to establish eternal life in this world, its purpose is not to leave him weighed down by a miserable lot. It is to reclaim him from a path that leads nowhere. He is the prophet of unity, which presupposes a breach to be healed. The prophet of the resurrection, which presupposes the experience of death. That's so beautiful. Yep. It is absolutely beautiful. He's such a beautiful writer, as well as a beautiful thinker. And what do you want me to read, Father? Nobody. Yeah. At the bottom of 394. Nobody had less indulgence for that impatience of limitations, to quote Stanislas Humey, the only effect of which is to enslave us more harshly. But no one, perhaps, have gi has given us so much hope that one day we may be freed from them. So well, he's impatient with limitations. We, we don't... We don't like all these limitations. We want to grow more. We want to be more. We want to have more wealth. We want to have more friends and so on. We don't like to be limited. Uh, but that enslaves us. The only effect it wishes to enslave us because we can't get rid of our limitations That's in right. this life. But no one perhaps has given us so much hope that one day we may be freed from them, but eschatologically. That's right. Good. I don't know what time we are, but I think it's time well, to quit. We we have a bit more time, and if maybe and that's that's a climax. And I saw this as a postscript would be an anticlimax. But I, I I I wanted to ask a question. So after that brilliant first paragraph there, <laughs> I just put three question marks in the in 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 the in the, in the margin. I just really want to uh, pose the question to both of you because I don't know. Death, it has been said is the only metaphysical experience. What on earth does the Lubach mean there? <laughs> hmm. Well, it's only through death that we truly and completely pass out of this world. And so if you think about the mystical experiences of Dostoevsky's characters, including the epileptic fit, it's almost like a dress rehearsal for death. What what the epileptic in that fit is experiencing is is like an out of body, uh, like you're dying, like you're, you know. So I think Dostoevsky saw that. In fact, when you think about our own faith experience, our own faith journey, it's near death experiences or coming up against the limits. Tot like you know, if I go another step, I'm going to fall off this cliff or I'm rolling my car off of a road, or I'm in a hospital dying, or whatever it might be, or childbirth. St. Paul, why does he say what he says about childbirth? You know, it's it's a total surrender experience. Yeah, no, and, I actually agree with everything you just said, Vivian, and, but while you were speaking, I actually thought also something which is, says that, and, and is that death, of course, is the act of love, right? It's, it's, it's dying to ourselves. And there can be no metaphysical experience without that experience, right? So in, in that sense, we have to die to ourselves to have any metaphysical engagement at all. And I only thought about that while you were speaking. I I, I, I just 
asked it because I didn't know the answer. And the I, really, and I, the I, really key word in it all is surrender. You know, when we die, that will be the ultimate act of surrender. Right. And 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 all through our life as Christians, you know, we're invited to surrender over and over and over again, either through near-death experiences or, you know, missing the bullet by this, whatever, you know. But when we die, that's going to be the ultimate. Now, yeah. I think, I mean, I, drawing from that, Vivian, I think it's, it's actually pretty simple. You can think physical and metaphysical. And physical means the physical world, right? That's all we experience, but... Death is the only metaphysical. That's the only point which you actually really leave the physical. That's right. You know, we we can have intuitions of it, we have ecstasy and near death, but that's a glimpse. That's right. Death is the passage from the physical to the after post, higher than that's right. Physical. That's right. And so our experience of limitations now, looked at in the light of Christian revelation our experience of limitations is actually a gift because it's only when we're up against the limitation, whatever it might be, psychological or physical or whatever it might be, that we really are in that surrendering position vis-a-vis God. And this is why St. Paul can say, in weakness, God's strength is made manifest in me. Amen. The paradox, the great paradox. So we'll begin next session with part four mystical confrontations read the first chapter or so and uh have this question in mind uh what is a section on mystical confrontations what does it have to do with this book on dostoevsky and the drama all right thanks everybody god bless you all if you enjoyed this discussion please help spread the word about the forum book club by subscribing to the podcast and writing a review You can sign up for weekly updates at formedbookclub.ignatius.com.